Well, good morning. Welcome to the gathering. Please go ahead and take a seat. My name's Martin Jones, and I serve on the dream team here at the gathering. And I want to reiterate something Mikey, our associate pastor, said uh, during the welcome. If this is your first time visiting with us at the gathering, then you are most welcome. And I hope that somebody made you feel at home as you made your way into the auditorium this morning. But I have something I want to ask of you immediately. Come back next week. I want you to meet our lead pastor, John Mark Redwine. Uh, he is a very gifted communicator, and I know that he would want to meet you. So go ahead, put it in your calendar, your diary, your journal, but make a point of being back here next weekend. Uh, many of you know me, but I, I've been serving here at The Gathering since 2018. Uh, my wife and I, Fiona and I, began attending in the summer of 2018. And then uh, probably in the fall of that year, we uh, joined the Dream Team, and we've served in a variety of different ways. Uh, we've got two children. Nathan, our son, has just graduated from college, and he'll go on to grad school in the fall. And Olivia, our daughter, hopes to graduate from college in the fall. Fun fact, Olivia got engaged yesterday. You may have seen her walking into church this morning like this. If you did, then that was Olivia. Uh, by the way, side note, I'm probably going to be listing a spare bedroom on Airbnb sometime within the next 12 months. Okay. No, don't worry, Olivia. I'm just being totally serious. Uh, so... That's a little bit about my family. Um, you know, last time I preached, I think one of the things that I shared with you is that I, I buck a lot of trends when it comes to British stereotypes. So, for instance, you know, I think I told you guys, uh, I've never met the Queen, I, I don't like soccer, I don't drink tea, either hot or cold, but I wanted to today at least reassure you that there are, there are some elements of being British that remain in me. I'm, we've been here 16 years now, but for instance, okay, so here's one, I really enjoy British movies. And I have to say, this past Thursday, Fiona and I were in the movie theater watching a preview of Downton Abbey, A New Era. And I'm not ashamed to say that I think I was the only man in that auditorium. Uh, yeah, John Mark, our lead pastor, gives me such a hard time about this. Uh, we're in a life group together, and he insists on calling it Downtown Abbey. And I say, John Mark, if you would just watch it for two minutes, you would know the Abbey is not downtown. So, John Mark, I know you're watching, and I think I just got the last word on this. Okay, it's Downtown Abbey. Uh, I like the Bond franchises, so uh, again, very stereotypical of me. And whenever you talk to another person about Bond movies, if they're a Bond fan, they will always say, so who's your favorite Bond? And my favorite Bond is Daniel Craig. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now, and no time to die, yes, I cried. I feel I can keep hold of my man card because I cried at a Bond movie, and so I, I kind of feel that that's okay. Um, one of Daniel Craig's most interesting movies was called Casino Royale, and the only reason I'm sharing that with you is because it's an origin story. Have you ever watched a movie and you realize the movie is telling you everything that has happened in the past so that you understand what's happening in the present, and as you go and see subsequent movies, you understand why things are happening the way they happen? 
Well, Casino Royale is one of those. It tells you how James Bond became James Bond. If you're a Marvel fan, then Iron Man is the original uh, uh, origin story for the, the Marvel Universe. And no, Captain America, yeah, Captain Marvel, mm, Iron Man, it was the first one produced, and it lays the foundation for the whole series. But Hollywood isn't the only one that's given us origin stories. Although they've made movies about the origin story we're going to look at this morning, the origin story, the story that sets the scene for everything we are in today and tomorrow and next week, it's right here. In fact, it's at the start of the Bible. And what we're going to do this morning is take a look at the story that helps us understand why things are happening the way that they're happening. Why is there evil? Why do I struggle to, uh, to obey or to follow God? We're in the middle of a series called How to Fight Back. Uh, John Mark, our lead pastor, began it last week by introducing us to the reality of the devil, to his power and the ways in which he seeks to lead us astray, but then the ways that we can prepare to fight back against that. And we're going to continue this morning by looking at how to fight back the origin story. Uh, last week, John Mark referred to Genesis chapter 3, and I was emailing him, and I said, you know, let me go back into that chapter in more detail. So that's what we're about to do. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Genesis chapter 3, the first book in your Bible. If you have an app, then uh, go ahead, uh, open up your, your smartphone, whatever. Genesis will be the top one. And if you don't, don't worry, because the passage will be right there behind us. Um, it'll be a, a simple structure, three movements to this message. We'll start off by observing there's a problem, a really serious problem. But then, as we keep reading, we will identify a solution to that problem, and then we're going to leave here this morning with some solid application, some real how-to, something that we know what to do as we leave here. So be turning to Genesis 3, um, I'll pray for us, and then we will begin reading. Father, I'm so grateful that you have given us this opportunity this morning. We don't believe in chance or fate or luck, and so we believe that we're here for a reason, and we ask that you would open our eyes, our ears, and give us understanding to all that you have to say to us now. And we ask that in Christ's name. All right, let me begin reading in Genesis chapter 3. I'll read the first six verses, and then we'll begin by looking at a problem. So Genesis chapter 3 and I'll start reading at verse 1. Genesis 3, 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So our problem as we begin looking at the origin story is this. The problem is that Satan's plan is to tempt us to sin. Satan's plan is to tempt us to sin. Now, the context of this passage is creation. So in Genesis 1, God created everything in six days. In Genesis 2, we get another glimpse, another insight specifically into how he created humankind. First the man and then the woman. And in fact, after he made the first man, Adam, he gave him a job to do. So I could have read this out as well. Genesis 2.15, God took the man. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So he took Adam, he put him in a particular part of this paradise that he had made, everything being good, and he said, Adam, I want you to look after this. Uh, You're my manager, you're my custodial, you're my steward. It's interesting, and we don't really have time to go into it this morning, but the word work there, it's a Hebrew word, and its root is to worship. Because work is worship. Whether you're at home, whether you're in the office, whether you're in a car, our work is an expression of worship. So Adam is put in the garden, and uh, God gives Adam one instruction, one instruction. So uh, Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. So that's the context. Eve is created, so Adam and Eve are now in the garden but so is someone else, the devil and Satan. And the problem is, his plan is to tempt them to disobey God. And I'm going to show you very briefly from this text four ways that he did then and he's still doing now. So first of all, he deceives us because he disguises himself. So part of Satan's plan is that he disguises himself. Did you notice the reference to him here is a serpent, a beast of the field that God had made? Last week, John Mark, our lead pastor, described to us the reality of the devil and that he was originally created as a glorious angel. But it was, by our standards, pretty freaky. You know, John Mark read about something that had four wings, four faces, hands under the wings, a bottom half that was all like some kind of animal. But that's not how the devil appeared to Adam and Eve. He disguised himself as something God had made, as one of the creatures that God had made. After all, everything at this point is good, and Satan disguised himself as something that is good. He consistently does this all throughout Scripture, and he's still doing it today. In fact, you could jump into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Paul says, the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. If he were to jump out in front of us as we're walking through Publix with, uh, you know, four wings, four faces, etc., I think we'd be on notice that something wrong was afoot, but he doesn't. He's so subtle and crafty. He disguises uh, himself in the way that when we look at things in front of us, we think, well, surely this is good, right? Adam and Eve are looking at something that it looks as though God has made, so surely this cannot lead them astray. You know, if you are seated here right now, and you're listening to me, and you're thinking, I I don't think that the devil is real, can I tell you right now that he's disguised himself to you as a fairy tale? 
The most powerful thing he can do is to convince you he does not exist. But he leads all of us astray. He disguises his authority. Let me show you. Okay, we're going to have a little bit of audience interaction right now. I hope that's okay. By the way, if you don't like audience interaction, just raise your hand so that I can see you. Okay. All right, so anyway, so I'm going to say one thing and you're going to say the opposite. It's an opposites game. It's really straightforward. You don't have to have studied. I will say, for instance, hot, and you would say... Excellent. Okay, so uh, tall, rich, uh, slow, God. Uh, we're unsure about that. The opposite of God, is it Satan? Absolutely not. And he convinces us that he is on the same level as God. Satan was a created being. Nothing is equal to the majesty and the power and the authority of God, and yet he's convinced us he is, because he disguises himself so cleverly. And he could do this today in the form of work. It's okay for me to be getting up, let's say, before the kids get up, or getting home after the kids go to bed, because I'm working, and work's good, right? It's okay for me to put the family on the back burner or to put other plans on the back burner. It's, it's okay to postpone celebrating a, an anniversary or a birthday. It's, a, it's okay to burn the candle at both ends, right? I mean, this is work. I, I need money. And yet it's the subtle disguise of Satan causing disruption and chaos in our lives. He disguises himself. The second part of his plan that we see here, though, is he creates spiritual confusion, he creates spiritual confusion. Uh, I read out that uh, Satan said this to Eve. Did God actually say? Did God actually say? You see, he's casting doubt immediately. Did God really speak about this? He did this to Jesus, of all people, at the start of Jesus' ministry. Christ goes out into the wilderness. He's tempted there. And multiple times, Satan came to him and said, If you are the Son of God then do this or do that. He creates confusion in our minds. Has God really spoken about something? He actually misquoted God. Uh, he said, did God say you shall not eat of any tree? That's not at all what God said. God said the opposite. God said, and I read it out to you, but just so you hear, so Genesis 2, 16, you may eat of any fruit of any tree with one exception. God is a God of freedom freedom with boundaries, but he's a God of freedom, not a God of limitation. And yet Satan creates confusion about who God is and what God said. And Eve just falls into the trap. Her response, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, don't eat of the fruit in the middle, in the midst of the garden. Don't even touch it or you'll die. And she's totally confused. She doesn't refer to the tree by its name, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She refers to it by its location. And you may think, is that such a big deal? That's a huge deal. Names are very important in the Bible. I mean, they still are today, right? I'm a college professor, and every semester, at the start of every semester, I learn the names of all of my students so that as we're engaging in class, I can use their name. If you were in my class, what would you prefer? I say, student on the middle row third seat in from the window? Or would you like that I said, hey, Joe, what do you think about that? Names are important. And Eve not using the name demonstrates that she is already questioning what God has said. And she adds to it, actually. She said, yeah, God said we, we can't touch the tree. God never said that. Again, he said the opposite. He said to Adam, go in the garden and work it. Look after it. 
Now, I'm no gardener, although it seems I have all these bushes and lawns to trim and maintain, but I tell you this, to look after my garden, I have to touch everything I'm taking care of. She minimized what God had said. She added to what God was said. She took away from what God had said. She said, yeah, if we do, we will die. God said, you will surely die. She adds to, she takes away. This is all a result of the spiritual confusion that Satan continues to sow even today. And then, number three, he flat out lies to us about God. Satan lies to us about who God is. His response to Eve is, you will not surely die. Hang on a minute. God said, you will surely die. Satan said, no, you won't. Big, fat, hairy lie. He goes on to say, God knows that when you do eat of it, you're going to be like him. Big, fat, hairy lie. Adam and Eve didn't become like God when they ate of this fruit. The opposite. Their relationship him was absolutely separated. And today, Satan seeks to sow this confusion in our mind by lying to us about who God is. God, isn't he the God of wrath and judgment? He's angry with you. Surely you did something. He is just still so mad at you. Or that thing that you did, yeah, you can never be forgiven for that. God will never get over that. Other people will never get over that. Or, or how about this? Have you ever heard the whispers in your mind that uh, you're, uh, you're not prepared or, or equipped for your current role? You're not qualified. You don't really know what you're doing, and you're never really going to make an impact. Or you're, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're too ugly, you're never going to have a future. Lie, 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 lie. Because God says, I know you. I made you. With deliberate intention. There's no mistake. And not only that, I have equipped you, I have gifted you, I have called you, I see you, I know you. And through Jesus, I can forgive anything. He lies to us. Uh, Satan lies to us about who God is. And then the last thing he does as we're dealing with the problem, he makes sin look good. He makes sin look good. Uh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, that it was desirable to make her wise, she took some, she gave some to Adam, they both ate of it, and the whole world changed. Satan made sin, the first sin, look incredibly appealing to the flesh. Bear in mind, they had everything in the garden, and yet he said, no, 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 this is the one. Sin is always going to appeal to us physically. There'll be some kind of high, initially at least, because Satan makes it appeal to who we are, still physical beings. So this is why we struggle so much with addictions, whether that is uh, food, whether that is uh, money, whether that's alcohol, whether that's uh, sexuality, but these things appeal to us physically. Satan knows how to lead us down a path. His plan is to tempt us to disobey God. And unfortunately, the reason we're talking about this being a problem is that he was successful and Adam and Eve, their relationship was torn apart. 
separated from God. And because they were the first man and woman, every single man and woman born after them is in that exact same state, born sinners, separate from God. But thank God, there's a solution. There's a solution to this problem, and the solution is this. God's plan is to redeem our sin. God's plan is to redeem our sin. One of the ways that we see here that he does that, he gives us opportunities to repent. Let me read again Genesis chapter 3. I'll pick right up at verse 7, okay? Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them, that would be Adam and Eve, the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So their shame immediately enters into the equation as a result of sin. And so they try to make themselves coverings. And they, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, where are you? And he, Adam, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, God, said, who told you you were naked? It's kind of like this busted moment in the Bible. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God turned to the woman, he turned to Eve. And he said, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So you've got this whole blame game going on. So uh, you've got God confronting Adam, confronting Eve, uh, asking a series of questions Why is God asking questions? Doesn't God know where people are, what people have done, what people are thinking? Of course he does. He's God. But his plan to redeem our sin begins with giving us an opportunity to repent. The asking of questions is the giving of opportunities to confess and to say, this is what I've done. This is what's happened. He is giving, through his gracious, merciful action, he is giving Adam and Eve, who have just rebelled against him, an opportunity to turn from what they have done. Repentance is a kind of a churchy word. Uh, Mikey, our associate pastor, preached a great message on it last summer. Uh, he talked about it being kind of you're headed in, in one direction and, and turning around and heading in another direction, seeing Jesus and all he's done on the cross. That's what God's doing right here. He's giving them an opportunity to say, this is what's happened. And you know, I'm convinced that in a group of our size this morning, someone has been brought here this morning because God wants to give you an opportunity to stop doing something that you're engaged in, or you're, you're, you're teetering on the edge of stepping into a rebellious activity. You know you are. You're not kidding yourself. You're not kidding God. Or you're engaged in it right now. You know, whatever that is. And God in his merciful wisdom has brought you here this morning to hear him through this say, I want you to turn back to me. 
I want you to stop that. I want you to repent from walking in that direction and turn back towards me. You know who you are if you're here. I, I don't, but you do. And the reason that God is giving us, giving you, has throughout all of his history given us these opportunities over and over again is the second point. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated the power of Satan. This series is called How to Fight Back, but the reality is God's done all the fighting already through Jesus. Let me go back to the text. I'm going to read one verse, Genesis 3.15. God speaking to Satan. I will put enmity, hostility, strife, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, so a child that comes from the woman, he shall bruise, shall strike your head. You will bruise, will strike his heel. Let me explain this verse. It's a very important verse for redemption, for our future. It's actually called the Proto-Evangel, the first gospel. It's God in the middle of the very first sin of mankind saying, I'm going to deal with this. There will be a child that comes from a woman, and that child will defeat you, Satan. The strike to the head is a fatal blow. That was the work of Jesus. God the Son became one of us, like us in every way except sin, and he went to the cross and was crucified, and in that action stood in the place of judgment we should have stood. We were moved to one side as Christ stood in our place and defeated the work of Satan. So whatever you're struggling with right now, through Christ, you can overcome that. 1 John 4.4, the one who is in you, Jesus, is greater than the one who's in this world, Satan. You can dig into 1 Corinthians 10, and Paul says, nothing has overcome you. No temptation has overcome you that God cannot deal with. He has overcome Satan's plan. So this thing that you're facing right now, you have the ability through Jesus to overcome that. Because God has defeated Satan. And thirdly, finally here, with our solution, he pours out grace. God pours out grace. Genesis chapter 3, towards the very end of the chapter, verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him, Adam and Eve, out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove them out. He drove the man out. He drove the woman out. He... he, uh, He drove them out of the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a cherubim, another angel, with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way back to the tree of life. So two things are happening here right now. Adam and Eve, full of shame, have tried to cover their nakedness. Shame is a consequence of sin. And so they've 
try to make clothing out of uh, leaves. And uh, I just imagine God looking at this saying, hmm, yeah, how's that working out for you? Let's see how that works out in two days' time, in three days' time. It's going to become very scratchy and itchy. Uh, so this is what he does. He said that you've just rebelled. You've sinned against me. Your relationship with me is no longer what it was, and you're ashamed, and you've tried to hide from me. But I'm going to pour grace on this situation, and I am going to make you now some lasting clothing. So he made them clothes out of animal skins. By the way, how do you get an animal skin? You have to kill the animal. Something was killed to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. That's actually another foreshadowing of the work of Jesus Christ. God the Son, who would sacrifice himself so that we may again be restored to God. Grace, grace upon grace in the middle of sin. And then he banished them from the Garden of Eden. And you may be thinking, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound much like grace to me. Oh, but it is because of the reason that he did it. He looked at this sinful, broken, shameful state of Adam and Eve, and he said, I don't want you to live forever in that state. And I know that if I leave you in this garden, you're going to take of the tree of life, and you will then live forever, so I'm going to make you leave. And in making you leave, you won't eternally exist in this brokenness. And the tree of life, by the way, comes back to us in Revelation 21 and 22. It's one of the eternal gifts that we have. Whatever situation you have faced or are facing, please, if you don't hear a single other word I say this morning, then hear this. God is able to overcome it and pour out grace on your condition. He is not angry with you. He is not mad with you. You have not crossed a line for the last time. He can and will deal with anything through Jesus Christ, which leads me to our final point of application. We have to do something with this. We've seen a problem. Satan will do everything he can to tempt us into sin. We've seen a solution that God will work through our worst mistakes. So we need some takeaway. We need to know what to do. And the first one is you need to know God. You see, the problem with this story is that relationship between man and God was wrenched apart because of sin. And the only way it is restored is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that some of you struggle with that and you wonder whether that's true. And we kind of go back to the problem that Satan's so in spiritual confusion. He's lying to you because God has revealed this to us. You need to know God. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to pause right now and I'm going to pray for you. For anyone here who needs to take this first step of application and be restored to God. So let's pray together. Father, I am so sorry that I have let you down. You know what I'm struggling with or have struggled with. Please forgive me. I don't have all the answers. And I don't necessarily know what tomorrow looks like, but I believe that you do. And I believe that Jesus, your son, took my punishment. Help me now with every next step. Amen. Once we have known God through Christ, 
We need to know God's Word. The major problem with this origin story is that there was confusion about what God had said. And one of our core values here at the gathering is that we will be intentional about reading the Word of God. And if you don't know how to do that, um, one of the simple ways, you could download a Bible app and you could go into the Bible app and there'll be a devotional plan. Or you could simply open up to the second gospel of the New Testament, Mark. It's the shortest gospel. It was the first one written, 16 chapters. Read half a chapter a day over a month. It's five minutes. And if you're still uncertain, then as you leave here out of the doors, take a left and go to the very end of the hallway. And there's a table, a step one table. There are Bibles on that table. There are people on that table to help you understand how to know God's word. And the third and the very last thing I'm going to say today once we know God, once we know God's word, is we need to know God's people. We need to be in community with each other. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to see that we're here together this morning, but the Sunday morning hour isn't enough. The gathering is not a perfect church, but one of the things we do really well is community, is life together. Fiona and I have formed some lifelong friends here over the last couple of years. People who walk with us, people who know our names as we walk down the hallway. There's a place for you in this church. We don't ask that people come perfect. We ask that people bring their baggage and we will walk with you. So if that's you, as you leave this morning, and it can't get any easier than this, guys. You walk out of the doors and immediately opposite you, there is a table inviting you to find out more information about summer life groups. That is summer groups that do life together. And I know those couple of steps can be really intimidating. Just being in a church, especially if it's for the first time or the second time, can be super intimidating. So it's gonna take some courage. But you take those first steps and we'll meet you. And I guarantee that God will change your life. So let me close out in prayer, give you some final instructions, and I'll hand back to the the worship group. Father, I thank you that you have called us this morning. I thank you for an opportunity and for freedom to worship. And I thank you for every single person that has been in this auditorium or that has uh, been a part of our online ministry. And I pray and ask that you would speak into their lives, that you would help us all see how Satan is trying to lead us astray, but then to understand in a new way the power that we have through Christ by the Holy Spirit. And I ask, oh God, that you would help us to come together in this fight and in this struggle, that we would truly learn how to fight back. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.